as this old apostle sat and dictated and someone wrote down his words, you, Holy Spirit, were inspiring scripture. So we handle it with, with, with the recognition where we're hearing the words of God and receiving truth. Would you please teach us today through these scriptures? Amen. Okay, let me read some of 2 John to you. And of course, I'll break it up and talk as we, we go along. There are CDs and notes from last week, from, from Jack's sermon. There's notes out there of mine this morning. There'll be CDs during the week ready for this week. And of course, usually, by, even by the time you get home, the sermon is up on the, the uh, internet okay, and available. By the way, Jack and I are doing the next bit of that. We're going we're gonna to do podcasts too. so we're going to be on iTunes as a podcast very soon Lighthouse Sermons week by week we'll be on podcast so John writes the elder himself to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth and not only I but also all who know the truth for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever grace, mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we've received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. The commandment, in fact, that Kevin just quoted. John writes to the chosen lady and her children. Now, is this really uh, literally a lady and her family? Or does John write to a church here? Well, there's there's a debate about that, but I think it's a church he's writing to within this language. And here's the reason why. Because he concludes the letter, when we get there in a few minutes' time, with the children of your chosen sister greet you. Right? So he's writing from a church, not from a household, but he's writing from a church to another church and says, your sister and all her children greet you and all your children. Right? So that seems like that's the language of they use. And Peter actually uses a similar expression. In 1 Peter 5 verse 13, as he's signing off his letter, first letter, Peter, he says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. She who is in Babylon, chosen lady in Babylon. Well, Babylon, at the time Peter wrote, was a ruin. It was an ancient ruin. It was not a literal place. Okay, But names sometimes have prophetic significance. And sadly, the prophetic significance of the name Babylon is that when Israel and Jerusalem and Judah were in a bad place, God called them Babylon. And so it's quite likely that Peter is writing from Jerusalem and saying, the church here in Jerusalem greets you, and my son Mark does as well. 
So she who is in Babylon, the chosen sister. So it seems to be the way they talked about churches as being ladies. Ladies, you score on that one too. (laughs) So I think John is writing from one church to another church here. He's met some people from the church that he's writing to, and he was delighted to find them walking in the truth. I'm delighted to tell you I've met some of your children and they are walking in the truth, is what he says. And then he writes about the truth which abides in us and will be in us forever. You know, very often in the Bible you can put a capital T on truth because it's really referring to Jesus. And then second to Jesus himself, the truth about Jesus and the truth we receive from Jesus, including his commandments, are the things we live by. We walk by. We walk in the truth we have from him according to his commandments. Promises, yes, I read one of those magnificent, precious promises that Peter calls them from Isaiah 43 earlier. When, you, when you're in the flood, it won't overflow you. When you go through the fire, it won't burn you. Why? Because I am with you. Terrific promise. But God has given us a mixture of promises and instructions. We're called to the obedience of faith. And obedience to Jesus is not an optional extra to saving faith. It's the evidence of saving faith. It's how saving faith shows itself in obedience to Jesus. We don't just believe about him, we believe in him, therefore we trust him and do as he says. Obedience is not an optional extra. It's the evidence of saving faith. What is the main commandment that John's referring to? It's the love one another one. The new commandment. It wasn't in the ten. It's new. It's different from love your neighbor as yourself. It's new. Love one another, Christian to Christian, as I have loved you. You see... We're called not just to believe that things are true, but to walk in them, to put them into obedient action. We've learned some principles of Christian discipleship in this last year. And some of you were delighted when I talked about fasting a few weeks ago, and others who went, oh my goodness. (laughs) I can see it on your faces. But if I ask you today, do you believe in... One of these practical issues of the means of grace, one of the disciplines of grace, how we find more of God's grace through engaging in these things. If I say to you, do you believe in Bible reading? Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe in tithing? Do you believe in fasting? I'm not asking, thank you. (laughs) I'm not asking particularly for your answer. I'm digging at this one. The way you show you believe it is that you do it. Otherwise, you're only believing that something is true. But you're not committed to the truth unless you do it. We'll come back to that later. Because I think that's our main point this morning, but we'll come back to it. Let's go on through through 2 John. He comes back to the theme of his first letter, false teaching and false teachers. And this is not just an issue of being right and proper and crossing the T's and dotting the I's. This is about false teaching dishonors Jesus because it takes the gospel away from Jesus and makes it something else. 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Antichrist is the word that John uses, only John uses it in the Bible, and he uses it to refer to false teaching and false teachers. That's how the Bible defines Antichrist. It's not confused in the Bible with a beast or a man of sin. And John also wrote Revelation, and the word Antichrist does not appear in Revelation, but a terrible persecuting political power is pictured in Revelation as a series of beasts. It's a terrible persecuting political power. All right? But that is not called Antichrist in the Scriptures. It's called the beast and beasts. Antichrist is false teaching. The denial of the truth about Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Therefore acknowledging that Jesus is at one and the same time both truly man and truly God. If you have to pull at that and and, and take some bits away from it, you're not accepting the truth of Jesus. And that denial of Jesus as God come in the flesh is not just made by false, uh, completely false religions and you know, non-Christian religions. It's what it passes around within Christianity too. It's become acceptable. The battle against deceivers has gone on from John's day until now. Let me say just a little word here about the word of faith teaching the movement. It's this. To exercise the power of your imagination and your will to make something happen is not faith. It is magic. We pray and ask God to act. That is faith. You making it happen is magic. Not faith. That's how wrong it is. John says, watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Watch yourselves. Jesus said, take heed that you're not deceived. See to it that you're not deceived. Why? Because you can be. And you don't know because you're deceived. It's only called deception because it deceives you. Well, I've always thought that. Yes, I know, but you need to be undeceived. You need to be brought out from thinking that way. Don't be sweet-talked by charming false teachers. You know, false teachers don't, don't uh, you know, they're called wolves. Jesus calls them wolves. They don't have fangs. Most of them have perfect teeth. <laughs> Here's the thing. Look at this verse. You can run well for a time and be deceived and lose your reward. You can run well for a time, be deceived, and then you lose your reward. So I said that for the sake. Is that true? That's what the scripture is saying here. Don't lose your reward. So make sure you don't take on any of this deception. Now this is really going to get in, I was going to say someone's backyard, more like your front room really. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Notice that goes too far. One of the things I've noticed about false teachers is they're always trying to better each other. Well, I know brother so-and-so says, but I'm going to tell you. They're always upping one another. It's like, a, it's like competitive preaching. They're always upping on one another. He's gone this far. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to bring you the deep truth here. Always be careful when someone labels their teaching as the deep truth. Be very careful. I've even heard people over the years say, it's time to move on from the preaching of the cross of Jesus, to which my reply is, Not to be a striker. Some preachers and teachers compete with one another, pushing one another, competing with one another, going further and further out. They go too far because they've gone from the gospel. John says, do that and you've left God behind. Seriously, do that and you no longer have hold of the truth of God. The one who abides in this teaching, which is essentially teaching about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, made flesh. Jesus, the very core and heart of the gospel. It's about him. And if you've left Jesus behind, it's all about principles of faith or whatever it is and prosperity. And he, then you've left God. He who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. No matter what they say, the one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now, into your front room. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. John says, don't entertain them. Don't welcome them. Who and what do you allow into your home? Maybe not literally through your front door nowadays, but we've got other front doors. We've got TV screens and tablets and smartphones and maybe books and literature. What do you welcome? What do you receive? What do you open to? What influences do you allow? The one that, Paul's, that John's writing about particularly here is shut out what he calls Antichrist, false gospel. Now I would label that as, as a whole range of things, but there's word of faith and prosperity teaching, and then there's liberal influences as well, and those are running around nowadays. You've read about that this week, the, some of the controversy in the Anglican Church about you know, uh, how to handle gay people and so Let's, let, let's, let's, let's all throw away the truth and do what we want to do. John says, don't welcome it into your home. Any of those extremes. In an article by Tony Reinke in the Desiring God website this week, he wrote this. I put it on, on the Twitter and Facebook. Before I listen to a sermon, turn on a Christian album or open a Christian book, and I would add to that, or turn on a religious TV channel, or tune into one of the radio stations, you know. I asked myself these three questions, which is about being clear about the gospel. How am I saved? 
What am I saved from? What am I saved for? Because you'll hear different gospels out there. You'll hear a therapeutic gospel. We are saved by becoming self-authenticated and affirmed. Becoming somebody. We're saved from self-destructive negativity. We're saved for self-confidence. You'll hear a prosperity gospel. We're saved by faith that produces health and wealth. Notice it's the faith that produces it. Magic. We're saved from poverty and financial heartache. We're saved to enjoy financial abundance. Another one is this. You'll hear a brokenness gospel. We're saved by releasing ourselves from the memory of old sins. We're saved from feeling bad about ourselves. We're saved to live whole again. Some of these things work in subtly in all kinds of corners. And fourthly, you'll hear an attention gospel. It's called mindfulness nowadays. It's interesting how the church always picks up on what the world is doing. Let's talk, oh boy, let's talk about that then. We're saved by remembering God more mindfully. We're saved from ignoring that God exists. We're saved to live more conscious of God. Okay, now that's Tony's view on it, but. On the religious TV and radio channels today, if you tune in today, you can pick up at least two and perhaps more of those alternative messages. They are not the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is about us needing Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And then living in reliance on him and obedience towards him. That's the gospel. They're not the gospel. And then we also... Though this is not what John's saying, I'm just adding it in. We need to shut out from our homes, from our hearts, what John calls the world. False morality and false values. This world that is so fascinated and hungry for more of sex and violence and greed and materialism and the love of money. Warped values are thrown at us through every kind of communication system, every form of media. I remember coming back from a longish trip abroad and, and I felt like I was being shouted at by the posters. I was offended by, by being all these images and these, these words. I got used to it within a day or so. But to begin with, I felt like, why, why am I being bombarded with this? We live in that kind of pressure every day of our lives. But we choose to allow it or we begin to choose to refuse it to close some doors to it. See, the problem in our day is this. You can lock your front door, close your windows, and everything can still get at you because of all the media, newspapers, everything else that we, we now so feed upon and hungry upon. We need to be guardians of our hearts and of our homes. We should make some decisions about what is not going to happen. Where I am. Well, whoever else is doing it, it's not happening here. That TV broke, no, not. That internet access, unlimited and unfiltered, no, not happening here. So John now concludes his letter. Because I've got three John to do as well, haven't I? <laughs> Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. 
the children of your chosen sister greet you. I want you to notice that heavenly wisdom that comes through John. Face to face is better than pen and ink. And I'm going to add to that, pen and ink is better than email. And even email is better than SMS or WhatsApp. John is pointing here to quality of communication. Is face-to-face communication better than writing it down? Yes. You can't disagree with that because the Bible says so, right? (laughs) The Bible says so. Face-to-face is better than pen and ink. But we have all kinds of ways of communicating and they're not of the same value. They're not of the same quality. And we make enormous messes in life because we don't think about the value of what we want to say and how, therefore, we should choose to communicate it. This is messing up many human relationships right now that we don't understand the value of how we communicate. Today we communicate profusely but poorly. We fill social media with drivel and then spend our time reading other people's drivel. I really don't want to know what computer game you just scored. I don't want to know. (laughs) And do I really need to know what sandwich you had for lunch? (laughs) Listen, why, why is all of this kind of out there. Why does it have to be out there? You may, note, you may not notice by now, I put hardly anything that is personal on Twitter or Facebook. I just won't do it. And here's another thing about the way we communicate. We make trouble for ourselves this way too. All right? If you're using social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever else, There's a big difference between a private note and a public notice. Before I go down, am I talking to that person or am I putting a notice up on a board for everybody to see? Almost every social media format has a way of communicating with somebody person to person. It's not out there, it's just between you and me. Private messaging. But again and again, people are so in a hurry to get their thought expressed and stick it out, they forget everyone else has signed what you've just said to them. Do you, have you ever been or do you know of anybody who's gone into trouble like that? Oh, well, you're so good, you people. I do. I do. I do. I know some people, they're good people, but they are so quick to blog and do whatever that they, you know, they forget who they're talking to. In fact, I, I remember a good old friend of mine, I, I contacted him in private message and said, so-and-so, did you really want everybody to read that? He went, oh, you're right, David. I said, well, just stop, just think. Question, private or public? Who am I talking to here? Am I nailing up a no- something on a notice board or do I want to talk to, send a personal message to, to Debbie? Right. 
Choose the method of communication with wisdom. Slow down. You know, when you usually write a letter, you read it through before you then sign it. Nowadays, people write stuff and send it and they haven't reread it. Too quick. Wisdom says, slow down, think about who you're talking to, how you want to say it to them, and is there a better way of doing this? Phone call is better than other methods. Best method ever, best on the planet, is face-to-face. That's why even politicians, when they've got their most serious negotiations, have a summit. They do it face-to-face. Some things would be better communicated by a phone call than a, an email or text, and some things should only be handled face-to-face. We, listen, I, I'm not digging at anybody here, but we think too highly of our writing skills. We all think, oh, I, I, I write pretty good. No, you write pretty good. Gotcha. Few of us are actually that good at writing. So why not choose a better form of communication so you don't have to work hard at writing better or good? Let's do three, John. I'm going to label three, John, a tale of three men. There's three names in three, John. It's an interesting thing, three, John, three men, but there you go. In his letter, third letter, writes specifically to a person called Gaius. Gaius. And there are two more names we're going to pick up on the way through. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. He's writing to a friend in Christ who may be one of the elders of the church. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Ah! Prosperity, David! They love that one, don't they? Oh yes, they love that one. Let's read on. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. You notice the theme here? Walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children. That's a lovely thing. Paul, uh, John says, says, you're one of my kids. <laughs> you know, the peop- one of the people I've raised in the Lord. You know, he's affectionate and fatherly towards them. I have no greater joy than this, than to win the life. No, to hear of my children walking in the truth. But prosperity teachers love that verse, verse 2, to prosper. Listen, to prosper does not have a dollar or pound sign in front of it. It's about well-being. It's the equivalent of saying in Hebrew, shalom. It's about being whole and being healthy and having a full life and being at peace, being content. That's what the Greek word that gets translated as prosperity is the equivalent of shalom. Wellness. Salvation, even. This personal well-being that John prays for his friend is not about health, not about wealth, it includes health, but it's because Gaius is walking in the truth that his soul is prospering. As he's living in the truth of Jesus and obedience to Jesus, he's not following a, 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 a script sheet of the principles of faith. He's prospering in himself, in his well-being, because he's obeying Jesus, walking in the truth. 
John goes on, Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, which signifies to me that he's a, he's a servant and probably therefore a leader, and especially when they are strangers. And they've testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Gaius is doing well. Wouldn't that be nice if someone could say, to you, you're doing well. I hope I say that to you, some of you sometimes. Doing well, you know. He's acting faithfully in working for the good of the church. He receives and cares for strangers. They're not that strange. They're traveling Christians particularly those on apostolic mission, visiting churches and preaching the gospel. And some of those traveling men, returning to the church where John is based, have spoken of the kindness of Gaius, of his hospitality and servanthood. We should support those who live by, the preaching, who live by preaching the gospel. When we do that, we are fellow workers with the truth. We share in the reward, in the outcome, in the harvest and reward of Christ. Gaius was doing well. And John prays that he will do well. He'll continue to do well. That his soul will prosper. But having heard about Gaius, the good man, we now hear about a man called Diotrephes. I wrote something to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them. You can hear it in John's voice, can't you? Diotrephes loves to be first among them. Does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes who loves to be first. Diotrephes thinks he's a big man. Probably thinks he's a spiritual man. He has high and hard opinions and he has a very high opinion of himself. Diotrephes may be a man of prayer, but if he is, he'll let you know about it. Diotrephes might be a generous giver, but if he is, he's going to let you know about it. Because he wants to be seen. He loves to be first. And so Diotrephes controls what's happening around him so that he keeps being the big guy. When John the Apostle wrote to the church, Diotrephes rejected John's letter, which may have been the first letter, and instead accused John unjustly with wicked words. When travelling servants of Christ came through, Diotrephes wouldn't receive them and forbade other people from receiving them and helping them. Even putting kind people that opened their homes to these travelling preachers and missionaries, we would say, putting those people out of the church. No wonder John says, if I come, I'm going to sort this out. What do you think of Diotrephes? John's very clear in what he's saying here. Diotrephes is not a good leader. He's not a good example. He's not actually a good man. 
He may be able. He may be gifted. He may be one of the leaders, but he's not a good man. Because John says this, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Let me take you back to the book of Acts. We need some more leaders in the church. We need some more people to oversee the Greek-speaking people particularly. So tell us who among you could do this. What were the criteria? A good man, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. A good man. It wasn't about, oh, let's, let, let, let's check out their skill levels. It's like, let's check out their character. A good man. Jesus told us the tree is known by its fruit. If, it's, if there's a dietary feast around, don't follow such a man, even if he claims to be a man of God. Let's not deal with dietary But then there's a third man mentioned called Demetrius. He's another good man. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we had our testimony, says John, that you, you know that our testimony is true. You see, Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone. All right? He's not fooling them. They've watched him. They've got him figured out. Demetrius is a good bloke. And he has a good testimony for many people. And John says, and they're right, because I know him, and I think he's a good fellow too. You know, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said that. John willingly affirms the fact that Demetrius is a good man. So John says, find good people and follow their example. Choose good examples and follow them. Sadly, there are Dotrephes types around. They strut, they boast, and so on. But find instead a Gaius, a Demetrius, a good person, and follow their example. It seems to me that increasingly the Church of Christ is full with a lot of people who are very, very boastful. And uh, they're big in all kinds of ways. And they want to let you know they're big in all kinds of ways. It's a diatrophies attitude. Why do we think it's good for people to play the big man and boast so much? Why, why do we think that's good? It's not good. It's not good. We need to seek out Gaius's and Demetrius's and the female equivalents of them and follow them. Think... That's a good person, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. I'll I'll, I'll watch them, I'll learn from them. The problem is, of course, people say, well, I I, I follow so-and-so. Okay, who's he? Well, I watch him on TV. You can't follow someone you watch on TV. (laughs) You don't know them. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, film and TV is full of all kinds of trickery and cuts and hey you know it's called acting 
You go on a stage and you portray something and you, and you walk off and you go, what the hell with that? Yeah? Any, all sorts of people can act. You can't follow those ministries as people. It's impossible. So to the close of three, John. I had many things to write to you, Gaius. And he says it again. I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly. And we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Greet the friends by name. That, that struck me. Greet the friends by name. Paul, when he's finishing his book of Romans, we, I don't know if you remember finishing the book of Romans with me. Chapter 14, last book, last chapter, is it? Is it 16 chapters in Romans? Oh, do you know, I'm, I'm hopeless with numbers. I'm an accountant, but I'm hopeless with numbers. I use computers, that's right. <laughs> but they do the numbers, I just do the thinking. Um, last chapter of Romans, come on, look, look up, tell me how many chapters are something. Paul goes through a whole list of people. Greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet, greet my beloved sister, greet so-and-so, my beloved brother, greet so-and-so, great servant in the Lord, greet so-and-so. And he commends them and he's talking to them. You think, what's all that about? Greet friends by name. One by one. That is how you really show you don't just love vaguely a group of people, but you actually love these individual people. You see, it's very easy to sort of be over here and say, I pray for the church. Oh, I love them all. <coughs> but you only prove that you love somebody when you get close enough to do something for them, to speak to them, to try and offer some help, some advice, some encouragement. What can I do to help you? Yeah? Then you're loving that person. And when there's, a, when there's that kind of brotherly, sisterly, or fatherly, motherly, whatever you describe the relationship, and it can be different kinds of relationships, you prove that you know that person, and they know you, and there's, you, know, you know each other's names. Of course you're going to know each other's names. Because you shared life together. It's easy to love a whole community in theory, but it takes real love to love one another one at a time and speak to one another one at a time and greet one another one at a time. But let's go back to the main point. And I've got to wind up. I'm slowing down and I needn't. The main point, it seems to me, here is walking in the truth. I wrote this note on Twitter, Facebook this week. Jesus' story about building your house on rock or on sand in Matthew 7 shows that faith is tested first by obedience and then by trial. Trouble. It comes from this context. I'm going to read you a chunk of Matthew 7. Son of verse 15. It follows the same kind of context as John's letters, really. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits, which is why some TV image isn't going to tell you what this person is really like. You'll know them by their fruits. Then he goes on, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And straight after that, Jesus says this, to every one of us. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Yes, we need to be aware of false teachers and false teaching. Keep them out of our homes, in fact, let alone spend time listening to them and money supporting them. We need to be clear about the truth of the gospel, that it's all about Jesus, our Savior, our healer, our master, who gives us the Holy Spirit, who leads us into all the truth. But we also need to be sure we don't just accept or agree with the truth that comes through Jesus, but we obey it. We put it into action. The Holy Spirit leads us not just into knowledge of the truth, but obedience to the truth. And I stand by what I wrote. Jesus' story about building a house on rock or sand shows faith is tested first by obedience and then by trial, by trouble. Rain and flood and wind, because they're called, not called that, they're called sickness and redundancy and financial issues and family problems. Rain and flood and wind come to every one of us. The very best Christians experience trials and troubles. But the faith that is needed to, to, to endure the trial must already have been tested and proven in obedience. A faith that does not reach to obedience may not attain to endurance. It may fall when the trouble comes. I've known personally at least two or three people over the years who've got into what I talk about, you know, false teaching, deception and so on. They've got into some of that stuff and they've sold themselves into it. And then, then what happens is this. Crisis comes. The wind, the storm, the flood. They're hit with something. Illness or whatever. 
And at least two or three times in my life I've had this conversation. I, 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 I've, I've done with it, David. I'm not having it anymore. I'm, I've, I've given up on the whole thing. To which my reply is, I told you that what you were into was false. I pleaded with you to leave it. To come back to the truth. No, no, no. The whole thing's wrong. And they give up believing at all. Because the faith they had was not rock-founded. And it did not endure the trial. They weren't building on the rock. They were building on the worst kind of sand. True faith in Jesus. That receives all that he's done for us through the cross. That loves him and honors him and seeks to please him. And Lord Jesus, help me to fulfill your commandments because that's what I'm here to do, to be your obedient friend, your son. That faith, I believe, will survive testing. That's what I believe. Because that's what Jesus says. Faith that does what he says to us will endure the trial when it comes. And the trials come. You might think I'm being very negative this morning, but you know what? You're human, aren't you? Trouble will come to you. Secondly, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yes. Trouble will come to you. Yes. It's called the testing of your faith. Yes. Yes. And faith that has been tested and has endured and that has honoured God is more precious to him than gold is to the wealthy people of this world. Yes. Faith that has been tested in obedience will stand the test of trouble. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow to the authority of your words. Your words about the the two men building the houses are addressed to us today. We acknowledge before you that every one of us is building. We haven't thought about it perhaps, but we are. We're the building on false values of this world, including the love of money. Or we're building on real values of dependence upon you, our Lord and Saviour, and obedience to you, our Master. Lord, the way we build, the way we allow our faith to be tested and pushed through Hurdles of obedience, you, you bring us challenges and we, we, we think, oh, that's a tough one. But as we, we'll, as we st- seek to accept your challenge, receive your instruction and act upon it, Lord, again and again, our, strength is, our faith is being strengthened and proven. So that when real big ones come, we know how to get through this. We're trusting in Christ. On oh, Christ, the solid rock. Let that be true, Lord, not just because we acknowledge things that are true, but because those things are what we walk in. We want to be those who, like Gaius and and Demetrius, who walk in the truth. The the children of the dear sister, the the, the dear lady called the church, John met, who said, I'm delighted to report they are walking in the truth. Oh God in heaven, may we walk in the truth. Not just claim to believe it. 
that Jesus may be honored, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.